was it was uh, one of those things where I think the Lord in His providence doesn't reveal what His plan is, and He just shows me what the next step is. Um, but it was another one of those intangibles where I had taken a sabbatical and began praying on God's direction. Um, as we began to pray together, uh, we just began to discern that my time there was coming to an end. And simultaneously, I'd found out about uh, the church here in Maryland. On their end of the equation, the church here had been praying for two years. So the church was all, they were praying together on this well before I ever knew about the situation. Hey guys, welcome back to Anchor and Devoted. I'm Pastor Jer. And I'm Pastor Joseph. You are. Woo, 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 woo. This time you're, you're still Pastor Joseph. Am I supposed to woo-woo as well? Everybody <laughs> is supposed to woo-woo. You can woo. There it is. <laughs> Passion. Like, I am so impressed by you now. Like, I'm a super fan. And I'm not even doing the introduction for you because, like, you just woohooed and you're the first one to do this. <laughs> I feel I feel honored. In three seasons, you're the first woohoo I've had. Everyone kind of just stares and goes, I should have listened to the podcast before. Is this what we're really doing? (laughs) Do I have to stay on here? (laughs) Exactly. Like, what what just happened? Why is this grown man woohooing? So thank you. (laughs) Go ahead, Jer. Yeah, we have uh, Pastor Scott Crook with us this morning for Pastor Friday. And I'm looking forward to you guys getting to know him. I know him because he is serving as the uh, lead pastor at the church where my parents attend, the church that I grew up in. Um, uh, Scott, I've been looking forward to having this conversation. I'm looking forward to diving in with you. Thank you so much yeah. for joining us. I'm excited for it. And by the way, your parents, they're awesome. So that's why you come <laughs> Is that why you send them to Alaska? You know, they're I, going to Alaska over my birthday. And they, from, they the, didn't realize that either. You know, I can set up a family counseling session. Oh, they, did, they didn't know it was your birthday for real? Oh, they knew it was my birthday. They just didn't think about it. It was like in top in terms of top of mind or bottom of mind, this was like not on mind at all. They're like, oh, we're gonna be in uh, Alaska for the first week of August. I'm like, oh, on my birthday? You're like, oh That's no. Right. Maybe. Right. Welcome yeah. to Anchored and Devoted, where parents forget you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Um, yes. It's a pleasure. Gener- generally uh, like I told you beforehand, but just for the sake of repeating myself, we're doing this so that people can get to know the pastors in the Maryland area. Um, you are not originally from Maryland. I know that for a fact. And correct. you've only been here for what, two years now or a year and a half? Not quite. Almost a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what brought you to this great state? Well, um, sometimes I wonder that myself. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. That's great. Um Maybe backing up just a bit. So I grew up in Georgia, was in ministry there for a while. Um, And it was just one of those kind of inexplicable moments where you kind of know a chapter is coming to a close, but you don't know what the next chapter holds. And uh, my wife and I, who we didn't have children at the time, began to pray on it. We had some acquaintances in Minnesota, uh, but no intention to move there. Uh, But the way the, the Lord worked out the details... We wound up moving to Minnesota, um, and I had no intention of being a pastor there. In fact, I had gotten started pretty early in ministry, so I was looking forward to a break. Um, But about nine months after we moved to Minnesota, um, some 
shifts began to happen in leadership in a rather surprising way. And we were at a church without a pastor suddenly. Okay. And so um, through those circumstances, people began to ask me and I began to pray on it sincerely. And, and uh, so I became pastor of the church there in Minnesota. Um, and so Cross of Grace Church in, in Chaska, Minnesota. And uh, I thought, well, I'll just be the one-year guy till they find their guy. And then that became two years and five years. And then I looked around and 20 years had passed. So and, you're uh, not good at setting boundaries then. That's no, what I'm, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. 20 years? 20 years. Almost. Okay. Just, just so I can understand, were you doing something else that distracted you from this so you didn't notice or... Like, did y'all not celebrate anniversaries at your church or? No, it was, it was uh, one of those things where I think the Lord in his providence doesn't reveal what his plan is. And he just shows me what the next step is. And I make assumptions on how long I think that next step is going to last. Okay. But none of that is to be taken as, you know, we were kind of biding our time. It was a, it was a beautiful experience. I love those people dearly. And even, in fact, moving from Minnesota, as we did a year and a half ago, was very similar to our move from Georgia. There was nothing wrong. There was no controversy. Um, I would have been content finishing out my ministry life there in Minnesota. Um, but it was another one of those intangibles where I had taken a sabbatical and began praying on God's direction. Um, the men that I had worked with for that same number of years in Minnesota, one of them was already prepared to have his own church, to lead the church. And so um, as we began to pray together, uh, we just began to discern that my time there was coming to an end. And simultaneously, I'd found out about uh, the church here in Maryland and the previous pastor at O'Mara, mm -hmm. um, who felt God calling him to Italy to plant a church. On their end of the equation, the church here had been praying for two years uh, on his replacement. So he let the church know that he felt called to Italy, but he wasn't going anywhere until God revealed who was going to replace him. So the church was all, they were praying together on this well wow. before I ever knew about the situation. And so then Ed and I began to correspond through email, just began to pray together. Eventually our elders met uh, on Zoom and prayed together and God just began to, it felt good to us in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of uh, what precipitated our move here. And it has been, apart from the, you know, the normal challenges of moving your kids and a teenage daughter and social upheaval and those kinds of things, uh, it has been amazing. Um, so much smoother of a transition than I could have ever planned myself. Um, Ed was, was so gracious and the ch church people here gracious and welcoming our family. And uh, it has felt like home really, really quick. And we're grateful for it. Mm. So when you originally went to Michigan, I'm sorry, Minnesota. Right. The other, the other M state. There's a lot of M states here and they're confusing because I have a small brain. Um, what took you out there? Were you going out there for ministry or were you going out there for something else and, and the ministry fell on top? You know, I, I don't think I knew at the time. Okay. Um, like I said, I had been in ministry. It was the Vikings. Just, just go. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> I, uh, it, the church, as we knew it there before we moved to Minnesota, mm -hmm. uh, there were some doctrinal shifts that attracted me. There were some things that we had tried to employ at our church in Georgia that just weren't taking. 
Uh, so I was not the lead pastor at the church in Georgia. I was on staff as an assistant pastor. And so that was one of the attractions to Minnesota. But as far as my plan, I had planned on, because I was a school teacher before that at a Christian mm-hmm. school, I just planned on getting a teaching job in Minnesota. My wife uh, was a nurse. She was going to get a nursing job. We were just going to be two average people uh, supporting the local church. Okay. At least that's what I thought. So I'm not going to take any any advice on, from you on like lottery numbers or anything. <laughs> that's that's uh, probably a good move on your part. <laughs> so where are you, because I know the answer, I'm just going to softball this. Where are you serving now? Cross Point Church in Arnold, Maryland. And uh, we're just- Do any of the elders give you pause for concern? Like maybe this guy should be- Apart from your dad? Uh, No. Uh, They are are amazing guys. (laughs) Uh, It is an honor to serve with them. And it's it's easy to say that, but to be able to, even in such a short amount of time, to uh, not just- be elders who are in doctrinal agreement, but to actually mm-hmm. be friends, yeah. uh, to serve with guys that I love and respect. Uh, and that just grows as time passes. Uh, I'm, I'm very blessed and very grateful. Uh, for sure. So were you raised in the church? I mean, Georgia, obviously part of the Bible Belt. Were you raised in the faith? And, and yeah, when did you know you were called um, to the pastorate? Yeah, so my, when I was young, my parents didn't attend church. Uh, But I have an older sister. She's 11 years older than I am. And so she was almost like a a second mom. And so when she got married at an early age, around 18, she got saved, she and her husband. And so I started attending church with them and I was about 10, 11 years old. Okay. And so um, that's when I got saved. Um, My parents were not attending. I was going with my sister um, into a little Pentecostal church in Georgia. And that's pretty much how I grew up. Um, it was later on when I was away at college that my mom and dad came to the Lord. Um, and uh, but that's a different story. So, yeah, I kind of raised in the faith, but really took a turn in my adolescence. Okay. When did you know that uh, you were called to ministry? There was, there was kind of an inclining when I was a teenager with absolutely no understanding of it. I admired uh, my pastor's. I, um, I felt like I had a gift of teaching. I would help in Sunday school, but I don't think I ever saw myself becoming a pastor at that time. Uh, in fact, I started pursuing a completely different path. Um, I was planning on going to college and, and going into broadcasting. I worked at a little local cable television station in our town. I was working radio. I thought that was going to be my, my trajectory. Mm-hmm. And then about 18, 19 years old, um, I lost all of those uh, connections to to what I thought was going to be my career. And uh, my sister, again, very instrumental in discipling me, uh, was praying for me. And at that time, I had kind of walked away from church, walked away from any thoughts of ministry. But that's when the Lord recaptured my heart. I realized at that age, I had been running from something um, that I didn't understand. And so... Again, growing up in the Pentecostal church, what I saw on a Sunday morning, while mm-hmm. I appreciated, I knew that just wasn't me. I wasn't mm-hmm. the guy that was going to get up and, and yell and sweat for an hour. Um, so I thought, if that's preaching, I must not be a preacher. Well, then, as of course, the Lord began to uh, put other pastors and preachers in my life as I 
went to Bible college, I, I realized, okay, wait a minute. There are certain giftings and callings the Lord has placed in me. Uh, but I think the real turning point was when I got a job teaching at a little Christian school when I was 20 years old. They took a chance on me. I hadn't even finished my college degree. And I taught Bible class, seventh grade Bible class. And I left that day saying to myself, whatever happens for the rest of my life, I want to be able to teach God's word in some capacity. And that's been the case ever since. So I taught in a Christian high school for 10 years while serving my local church um, as an assistant pastor, worship leader. And so it was, again, God just kind of easing me into some things. I, I think sometimes God helps me with training wheels. <laughs> where, you know, he, instead of saying, this is what you're going to do, now go do it, he kind of eases me into things because uh, I think he knows if if he gave me the full plan, I would mess it up. Um, and so through that process of circumstances, that's where I find myself now, having been in ministry for a little over 30 years now, and uh, it feels like yesterday. Excellent. I'm going to pause here because I, I will often ask too many questions and not give Dave a chance. And so Dave, I'll Oh, no, it's cool. I was listening. I was enjoying the story of how you came to Christ as well as um, being able to hear um, the the realization that where you were in church wasn't um, matching with your calling and that you still needed to explore more. Mm -hmm. um, were there individuals who helped you with that or spoke in your life to cause you to see that or maybe yeah. between I, for me, I had to go speak to my pastor before I thought about seminary. It wasn't a natural thing. Um, right. Was that part of your process or? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, uh, one of my, my biggest, uh, mentors was uh, my pastor growing up who just happened to be my brother-in-law as well. <laughs> so the same sister that helped raise me in the faith, her husband. Okay. And so, um, I watched him. I learned a lot from him, and it was even even through some of our doctrinal disagreements through the years, um, he was pivotal in helping me be able to discern what a calling looks like, not to dive into something too quickly. And and then honestly, my other mentors came in the form of uh, authors. Um, so I would point to Wayne Grudem for an mm -hmm. example, um, where. I began to examine doctrine from a, a different angle than what I'd been raised in. Um, when my wife and I first got married, we were 21. And that's when we started realizing um, some of the things we had believed. Uh, we had not mined scripture for ourselves. And it's funny how marriage can do that, where you think you know everything, and then you get married and you realize you know nothing. So... <laughs> Our, our, our marital struggles drove us to Scripture, to be honest with you. Mm. And through that, understanding the roles of men and women, that's where I got introduced to Wayne Grudem, okay. his writings, John Piper, uh, C.J. Mahaney, some guys with that, that really had, um, had, had pioneered some helpful works on complementarity that, uh, that started my journey on a little more uh, sharpened, theology and and what I would see is, is some scriptural boundaries that I had missed. So it's hard to, when you ask for like mentors and influences, I can't leave those guys out. And then of course, just pastoral friends that I've made, especially, so we're a sovereign grace church. 
And we have a, a network of pastors that we kind of become friends. Those guys have really been helpful and, and, and instrumental in my life as well. Excellent. Thank Excellent. you. Um, what, as you're serving, um, keeps, especially as you talk about serving for 20 years at a previous station, keeps you motivated or keeps you coming back when, as you care for others, it can often, you know, lead to being hurt in some way or burning yeah. out or, I'm just curious, how have you um, sustained your energy or been encouraged? Yeah. Well, I actually did come very close to burnout um, in 2020, which, you know, is probably not too surprising with, with I think the sure. statistics spiked in that year for not just pastors, but just about everybody. Um, and so my father had passed away in that year. There were some really difficult counseling situations in our church that had not resolved well, um, which led to a sabbatical. And I mentioned leaving there, there was no controversy and there wasn't. Um, but looking back now, what sustained me wasn't the looking for success in ministry, you know, those measures that we can apply. How many people are attending our church? What's the budget look like? You know, nickels and noses, as they say. Mm -hmm. um, the, that did not sustain me. Even though we had a healthy church, lots of people, budget was fine. That wasn't what sustained me. Recognizing the faithfulness of God through the most difficult times reminded me that God, his, his word never changes. His presence never leaves us. His faithfulness never changes. And so when I've hit hard times, it, it has, it may even sound cliche, but it has been times where I could not go any further. I knew my strength had, had ended and God revealed to me. One of the reasons I got there was I was leaning on my own strength. And so to go to him in prayer, to go to him in his word, um, to draw on brothers in the Lord where I could just bear my soul, um, to have a wife, a uh, godly wife that I have that I could um, pray with. Those are the kinds of things God has used to refocus and recenter uh, me on him. Not the work of ministry, even though I love being a pastor. I love preparing sermons. I love preaching and teaching. I love people. I love the people of our church. Even though I'm naturally introverted, um, it, it's kind of an opposite when I'm around believers. I get filled up when I'm with other believers. Um, doesn't mean I don't like being around unbelievers. It just means it takes a little extra effort. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I love it. But that's what sustained me is the faithfulness of the Lord all through my life, seeing his faithfulness in Scripture being reminded it's not my strength, it's not my talents or abilities, but it's his faithfulness and his calling that has kept us. And, uh, and then you got the practicals. If, so if there's a, a young pastor who's listening, um, there are always going to be those moments where you feel like I can't go any further this week. And so my alternative is press ahead, bang my nose against the wall or give up. Mm -hmm. Those are not the only two options. We have a sovereign God who orchestrates our trials as well as our successes and what we would call success. And those trials are more important. And it's in those times where we are empty and depleted that we're going to gain more, learn more, have our faith grow more in Christ. And God has been so faithful in my toughest weeks. I could have 
50 conversations that just didn't seem to go well or issues in the church or counseling that I felt like I was being ineffective. And there would be that one phone call, that one text message, that one kind word of just someone saying, you know, the Lord has blessed me in this area. The Lord has helped me in this area. Keep doing what you're doing. Not that we depend on those encouragements from people, but the Lord knows how to send those in a timely way. And so I would get with my guys sometimes after a tough week and we would share just that one evidence of grace, that one encouragement from God that would just seem to overflow all the other difficulties we would face. So that's another thing, recognizing God's kindness in the midst of trials that has seemed to, uh, seemed to help us keep going. You talked about the vulnerability that you're able to share with um, the pastors, the elders that you serve with, as well as the pastors in the area. Yeah. You also mentioned that you are a part of the Sovereign Grace Church um, ministry, denomination, whatever the, the right term there is. And with the church in Minnesota, that was also Sovereign Grace? Yes. So you, you've been with Sovereign Grace now for 20 plus years, which means that your history with them goes back into some of the, the harder times that, that came out very publicly about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And a part of that story, from my understanding, and you can correct this or you can skip past it, you can tell me to cut it out. That's totally up to you, um, was the accountability structure, at least in some of the churches that was going on, was while it was good from an encouragement point of view um, to towards righteousness and this wasn't necessarily um, a healthy shepherding way to uh, to apply the grace of God into our failures was your was your experience over the past you know 30 years now how have you asked an individual and with other pastors how have you found the ability to be vulnerable? In the midst of a world that, that, quite honestly, you know, doesn't want to see our our brokenness, churches that often don't want to see our brokenness, they want to see mm-hmm. a paragon, um, even an intermediary for us before God, who we can trust that even if I'm if I'm struggling, well, at least the pastor's got his walk with the Lord well, and um, you know, his marriage is perfect, and the kids are perfect, and the dog's perfect, and the car never backfires. Um, for for me, from my perspective, that, that's such a almost unavoidable trap for 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 guys in ministry, mm-hmm. people in ministry, um, because we can set a bar and say, you know, I'm here because I've I've reached this bar, whether it's seminary or, or holiness or whatever, and then once we once we miss that bar, you know, I, at least in my life, I've found that Satan is really quick to kind of jump on that opportunity and say, hey, you missed the bar. Uh, you better hide that or God's going to kick you out and the church is going to kick you out and uh, you will disqualify yourself. And it's that that self-disqualification from serving that oftentimes is the this fear that in, in my life and in many testimonies I've seen, unfortunately, pushes people to say, well, I'll just, I'll deal with that quietly on my own. I won't bring that into the light, as John says. Um, and then, I've, you know, we've all seen things that, when that happens, not great things ensue. So I'm, I'm just curious what your walk has been like, what your, you know, your testimony through that has been. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, with sovereign grace as a whole. So we, our church in Minnesota, were adopted into the denomination in 09. Okay. So that was just before some of the bigger controversies took place. But it was soon enough that I was able to see from the inside um, the issues. And it was not my experience at all that um, any of those controversies had to do with a lack of grace or a lack of humility or a lack of vulnerability. Um, in fact, our experience with all of the sovereign grace pastors that we were getting to know and have since known for many years, that was one of the reasons why our church in Minnesota decided to become a sovereign grace church. Mm. We saw a model of humility and vulnerability and relationship and accountability. Um, I didn't go into all the detail, but when I first moved to Minnesota and then the leadership change happened kind of abruptly, it was a failure of leadership of the previous pastor where he had to be removed. Yeah. The church was independent at the time. And so all of the pitfalls came along with that. There was no plan B. There was no one <laughs> ready to, to help in that case. And even, even though they believed in a plurality of elders, it really wasn't functioning. And so we knew at that time, we don't want to find ourselves in that kind of situation again. It's not healthy to be isolated or separated. We need relationships with other churches, whatever this looks like. And that's what got us really reaching out. And so we were, we were looking at different families of churches, different organizations. And when we came across Sovereign Grace, my take was these, the men in particular that I got to know, these, these men, they're either the most humble, godly men that I've met, or they're full of it, yeah. one or the other. Right. And as I got to know them, of course, everyone centers in need of grace. Um, that was a model we saw not only advertised but lived out where men, and women too, but men who seemed to have the most problem with vulnerability and accountability um, were involved in each other's lives. Pastors of different churches mm. involved in each other's lives. Um, and so the team that I worked with in Minnesota from the beginning, younger guys, all of us at the time, um, knew that we would not want to not only find ourselves in that same predicament that we were in early on when the leadership kind of imploded, but we want to be faithful to the Lord and we want to be faithful to our wives and faithful to our church. And there's no way to do that by yourself. Mm -hmm. Now I realize not every pastor has the luxury of having pastors, other pastors on staff to lean on. But as you, as you pointed out, it's, it's almost, a trap that's that's set for every pastor. You're yeah. supposed to be omnicompetent in everything, <laughs> right. but you're not supposed to have any problems. And if there's an unhealthy leadership structure, let's say where there's a pastor and then there's a board of leaders who are supposed to keep that pastor in check, but there's really no friendship. There's really no relationship. There's no gospel grace being applied. Well, that's a recipe for disaster every time. Yeah. Because that pastor is going to say, I either become vulnerable and share my struggles and risk losing my job and my livelihood, or I'm going to keep it all in and figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, those are those seem to be the only two options that many pastors feel like they have. I, I would, I would, this is just to talk about this real quick. Um, I'd say this isn't solely a pastoral thing, but I, I know agree. that it is That's highlighted close. as a pastoral thing. Yeah. Right. Um, I was actually talking about this today with um, one of my coworkers. 
when it comes to, you stated, bringing things into the light, we often um, get into relationship with a goal of comfort as opposed to um, getting uncomfortable or being vulnerable or mm -hmm. just being honest or truthful. We will share things, but we won't get to the space where God can work on us and it requires us to be humble mm -hmm. or it requires us to even be embarrassed. Right. So that the weight of sin can actually sit with us and we can recognize that this cost Christ something. Yeah. Because we deal with it in our head and rationalize it away, it, it becomes this smaller thing that we are quick to judge others on and stone them for, but are so less likely to address. And these small things add up to bigger things. Mm -hmm. That's how the affair starts. So that's how, you know, the addiction to whatever begins. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the relationship with someone or a group of people where you could be consistently vulnerable with the understanding that I am holding myself accountable by sharing the things that I think are issues and allowing other siblings in Christ to look at it in the light and reconcile it based off of the truth of God's word, right. is this good or bad? Do I need to go talk to a pastor or a counselor? Like there, that isn't happening and that just isn't on the pastoral level, but I agree it is missing in the leadership of most churches, of the large majority of most churches where, um, like, I mean, that, that isn't even seen in the culture, let alone the body. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that what you're saying, see, I was going to take us in a slightly different direction, but I think as you were saying this as well, Dave, is that what we're talking about here specifically with pastors and with ministry leaders is really a, a concentrated um, reality that I think every believer and especially the new believer faces. Right. This is this goes all the way back to the garden. All of a sudden, I realize I'm naked. I'm ashamed, and the first thing I want to do is hide. Mm -hmm. Instead of going to the voice that I've been talking to, that's every morning that I've been talking to, as walking in the garden, as Adam was calling to me. Instead of answering, saying, "Hey, I'm over here," and by the way, I something happened, and I'm not sure what to do anymore because I don't have any clothes on. Mm -hmm. We we jump into a holly bush that that's a very real part of the uh, Christian life. You know, so I think it's real. Saying. I think it's real, but I also know that there are people who can lie to themselves. Oh, absolutely. And say look at three of them right here. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, they, they can lie to themselves to the point of, um, it's not, when we look at scripture, we can see things that cause our hearts to go, okay, God, what is this? Because this makes no sense, right? We're trying to judge it. And often we do the same thing with ourselves. We try and judge this to the point of, oh, it's not that bad. Yes, mm -hmm. I can commit this sin and God's going to forgive me. Or yes, I can confess this to God, but... I've sinned so many times before. He knows my heart. I was trying my best. There can be this rationalization of I went before For him sure. and not a sense of repentance that, in my opinion, comes from the embarrassment, the accountability, the 
the inspection of someone being in my business and mm-hmm. saying, you know what, that's wrong. Right. That's not okay. And unless people are willing to um, either invest the time so that relationships can get that deep or make a pact that we're just going to go there together mm-hmm. and create right. that safe space where, as you were stating, Scott, from pastors to elders, this is what we need to do. And this needs to be who we are. This is our confidential meeting. Yeah, we have a business meeting. That's next week. But this week or once a month, whatever it is, is our time when we come forward, confess. Yes, we have sins to confess for the church and the country and all that kind of stuff. Yes, we love to do all that because that's outside of ourselves. But the reality of, I know I'm an unclean person (laughs) and I work and serve with a whole bunch of other unclean people. Let's do this before God. Yes. That sense of repentance for me is not mentioned when it's fallen out of the gospel and it's fallen out of the sanctification process. So I just want to highlight that when I heard that, I was like, yeah, that that really resonates with me. Yeah, I I think you're 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 hitting on the core of it. It's it's a it's an incomplete gospel, Mm -hmm. which at the bottom line becomes not the gospel. Right. But if we're not, not just in our preaching and not just from a pastoral standpoint, but as you, as you guys are pointing out, Christians, churches at large, we, it's so difficult sometimes to receive and believe the simplest of truths, like the gospel of grace, yep. that we are saved by grace through faith, that we are kept by grace. Yes, we are called to obedience. Yes, we are called to sanctification and and growth and fellowship and all these wonderful elements that God has given us, these blessings. But if if I'm trying to live my Christian life in my own strength, whether I'm a pastor trying to to do a good job or whether I'm just a Christian trying to be a Christian and and not, not screw it up, if grace isn't at the center of it, we will come away with a host of problems and failures that we have no remedy for. And just one of them is no accountability, no vulnerability. Mm -hmm. If I don't understand grace, if I think, for instance, Jesus died for everyone's sins except mine, because mine are just too bad. I'm not grasping grace. I'm going to assume everyone else is more holy than I am, more loved than I am. And I'm failing at this Christian thing. And so I'm not going to open up. On the other side of it, if I think I'm doing so well because of my maturity and because of my accomplishments, that that's what keeps me, then I'm not going to apply grace to anybody else because I apparently don't need it. And so I'm going to be judgmental and harsh and condemning. And so grace is the key. Relating with to one another as a fellow sinner saved by grace just this past Sunday after service, I met with a, a young man who came to faith in Christ, but he was sharing with me how he didn't feel worthy. He didn't feel like he, he measured up. And I was able to come alongside him and say, we're in the same boat. I'm not worthy. I can't work hard enough. I can't be good enough. None of us can. That's why Jesus came. So this understanding of grace is not uh, elementary. It's not something we grow and get past as Christians. It's something we yeah. live in and we marinate in. And we, I think it was Spurgeon who says, abide hard by the cross, search mm-hmm. the mystery of his wounds. It's something we don't leave. It's something we go deeper into. 
If, but in the positive, if grace is central, then we're going to be able to sit down with another believer and we're going to be able to say, look, I failed. I did something that wasn't pleasing to God. I'm struggling in this area. That person is not just going to pat me on the back and say, that's okay. That person's going to say, okay, well, let's go to scripture together. Let's go to mm-hmm. Jesus together. I'll be, I, can, I can be led into repentance. I can be assured that I'm forgiven. Yeah. And I can have a brother to help me walk out what obedience looks like. So not only do we have saving grace, but we've got empowering grace. We've got keeping grace. And the beautiful outshoot of that is we have relationships in the church that deepen. That's what discipleship is. It's not us pretending we've got it all together. It's being vulnerable and going to the cross again. The same gospel that saved us is the gospel that keeps us. And grace is the center of it all. So from a practical point of view, because you've stepped into the lead pastor position now twice, and um, you've had to walk through this. Um, I know specifically where you are now with Cross Point Church. You've been there for about 18 months, more or less, um, with a group of guys in leadership who you previously had no other connection to other than the denomination. And you've had to walk through uh, a development of this kind of trust and this, this relational dynamic. So practically, what kind of things did you have your eye on? Uh, what kind of things did you put into, into your routine uh, for yourself and uh, for the guys that you're leading with over there at CPC as you were starting from, basically from the bottom to develop what you have now? Well, first of all, there was already a culture of vulnerability and accountability. Um, Ed O'Mara, the previous pastor, led very well. And so um, while I was new to the team, uh, I did not have to create a structure of accountability. That was already in place. Okay. Um, And so because we had lived that in Minnesota as well, it was a much easier transition into relationships where, um, practically speaking, I took time with each one of the elders one-on-one just to get to know them, them to get to know me, spending time with their spouses, their kids, opening up about past struggles, praying for one another in in our marriages. Um, And then, again, practically in our elder meetings, uh, we meet every other week, um, we take time at every elder meeting to just simply share where we are, what struggles we're having, uh, how to pray for each other. And we take time to pray for each other in those elder meetings. And if we don't have time for some of the extra business of the church, um, that's okay. We want to prioritize care for each other. Um, and also practically, we have small groups we call care groups. I think it's important that uh, elders are part of those groups, not just leading them, but part of them. Mm-hmm. So that our, we're living out life with other believers. So I'm in a care group that I do not lead um, where my wife and I can share struggles or we can hear other people's struggles. We're living out life with the body. Um, I think that's an important piece where maybe out of survival, some pastors think I, I have to separate myself from the body. Um, I understand that instinct, but I think it's an unhealthy one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know who said it, but uh, someone said, don't trust a, a shepherd that doesn't smell like sheep. Um, <laughs> I, I want to smell like sheep. I, I, w- I want to be with the body. And that helps me um, remember who I am in Christ, remember who I am as a believer mm-hmm. before I'm a pastor. 
Well, this was the light topic so far. Um, <laughs> um, I think we should go deeper and um, see if we can just officially get rid of our eight listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you came to Christ, what would you say was one of the most, um, I'll back up, what do you wish you knew? What would you tell yourself um, if you could talk back to yourself as a new believer? As a new believer, I struggled with a works mentality. That if I didn't get it all right, come that next Sunday, I felt like I needed to get saved again. And without repeating myself, if I could tell my younger Christian self about grace, about the sweet, sustaining grace of the Lord, I would. Mm. And at the same time, I would want to tell my younger self, the beauty of the pleasures of Christ are so much better than anything you think you can find elsewhere. The, almost echoing Ecclesiastes, everything else is vanity. Everything else is a, is a dead end. Trust in the grace of the Lord and what he would provide. And if I had a longer conversation with my younger self, I would say, stay in God's word. Don't take what other people say and build your doctrine and your beliefs. Anchor everything in scripture and you won't go wrong. Mm -hmm. mm. Amen. That's rich. Dave, you've got a confused look on your face, did I? No, no. I, I wanted yeah, to ask another question, so I'm wrestling with which one to ask. I wanted to ask, um, what do you see as one of the biggest concerns for the church, Big C? Um, and then I thought, what do you see, or what what is, um, what is something that you feel maybe for Maryland churches that's an issue? Um, like if there's a specific culture there. So I was wrestling between which one, but I'll leave it the more generic. What do you see as a a larger church issue? I think it ties to what I'd said about staying anchored in Scripture. Um, I think the challenges of the church boil down to the challenges of the individual. And that is in a, um, in a world that seems to be more quickly falling apart and more quickly celebrating immorality. Um, there's that challenge with Christians, therefore a challenge with the church to hold the line of biblical fidelity, mm. um, to live what we believe without fear, without um, worry of repercussions. At the same time, wanting to be able to share the gospel uh, in a loving, humble way with the lost, um, where we don't set up a mentality of us versus them. Mm -hmm. So in in a, in a morally declining world, we know that there's nothing new under the sun. We know that the enemy has no new temptations. But we also see that there's a decline to a point where persecution is coming to America. It already has been present in just about every other country in the world. So I think the challenge for the church is to trust in the keeping power of the Lord in Scripture, that we would live in a way that is in the world but not of the world. 
where we can stay true to Scripture and yet still be open to our neighbors to share the gospel unashamedly. That starts in the home. That starts with the individual. That's why I think the enemy's attacking the family so hard, because as fathers go, so goes the family, so goes the church. Mm-hmm. So to have godly men be filled with courage, full of the Spirit, in God's Word, that's always been the buttress of the church, the strength of the church, not demeaning the role of women and children. But if we don't have men serving the Lord and families are not intact, the church will become weaker. And so I usually don't see it through the lens of, as you were saying, Dave, the the big C church, what are the challenges? And then my church, what are the challenges? And the people, what are the challenges? Certainly there are demographics and areas and even age groups that have different temptations, that things we need to address. But I think the larger themes are the same for them all. The enemy wants to create fear and doubt and have us believe and teach something other than the Bible. And if he does that, then the church, little c, collapses. The big C church will never collapse. Um, Keeping the gospel central um, in in what we teach and preach and believe, um, as long as we're doing that, Jesus said he's going to build his church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And uh, that's, that's where our hope lies. There it is. I don't know that, uh, that you can end it any more clearly than that. I Scott, agree. thank you so much for, uh, for spending this time with us, giving us your time. Yeah, um, my joy. If people want to follow you, reach you, are there any websites, social platforms, street addresses, postcard <laughs> labels, social security numbers. <laughs> I was going to say, just tell me where to mail the check. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not a big uh, social media guy. I do have a Twitter account, but uh, I don't think that's, uh, that's going to help anybody right now. Um, <laughs> so yes, our church website, uh, crosspointmd.org. Um, and we also, you can find us on YouTube. We stream our, services on Sunday mornings and you can just Google us and you'll find us on, uh, on YouTube. Um, we meet Sunday mornings at 10 AM and, uh, small groups throughout the week. So if you're looking for a gospel centered church who wants to be real and help each other grow in Christ, here we are. Amen. Brother, thank you so much. Really do appreciate, uh, thank you guys. Your wisdom with us here. Uh, Dear listener, thank you for spending this time with us. Uh, You know that if you like what you hear, you can always go and, you know, subscribe or like or share this with a friend. Honestly, David, I don't really care if you do or not, but if you want to. That's why we keep repeating it over and over again. So please share it. (laughs) I I was just caught in a lie. I feel terrible now. There's accountability. There's accountability right there. We didn't care. I apologize. You can uh, drop us a line at anchoredandevoted.gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or other things that start with C. Candy. That would be a good one. Drop candy there. Um, We love you. We thank you guys for joining us for this. We'll talk to you next time. See you.